We are so honored to have you join us for this episode of Beyond the Loss. I'm Aditi Loveridge, bereaved parent to two and parent to one living child. I'm a specialized pregnancy and infant loss coach and founder of the registered charity, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. And I'm Danielle Kaluski, bereaved parent to my daughter, Emelina, and parent to two living daughters. I am the co-founder and director of operations for the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. On this show, we share real stories about parenting and healing through pregnancy and infant loss. We allow space for the often silenced truths around loss to be heard. We offer an affirmative space for all people impacted by loss to share their stories, their triumphs, and their healing. Please remember that the stories shared are personal stories and are not to be used in replacement of professional advice. Please visit our charity link in the show notes for additional support should you need. We are so excited to have you join us for today's episode. Let's start talking. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond the Loss. We are super happy to have you back after a nice summer break, and we're excited to start our season for the fall with our first guest, Erin Keeble. Erin Keeble is 35 years old and has been going through infertility journey for over six and a half years. Her and her partner have male factor infertility. They have done eight IUIs in Calgary, and they've also flown abroad to New York to do two IVFs using her partner's sperm as well. Erin and her partner have tried just about everything to have a child. We're very, very honored, Erin, to have you here with us today and to hear your journey and insights into this really complex um, path to parenthood. Erin is also a volunteer with the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Centre doing social media posts and is going to be a co-facilitator for our brand new peer support group for fertility starting this fall. Thank you, Erin, for being with us. As always, we ask our guests if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your journey. I know it's been a long journey, and it's an important one, I think, for our listeners to hear. So if you don't mind just telling us about it as much as you can, that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you, Danielle and Aditi, for having me on to discuss about infertility. I know that it is such a a taboo topic. People don't like to discuss the nitty-gritty but it is, it's essential and it affects one in six couples in Canada. Um, so that is quite a large statistic. Justin and I, yeah, we've been going through this journey, as you said, for a long time, six and a half years, but it feels like, gosh, 20. <laughs> we got together in 2015 and we just knew that we wanted to be parents. So we did start trying and within a year of nothing happening, um, I went to see a doctor and of course they did the referral to regional here in Calgary. And I think we waited a couple months to be seen. Um, in the meantime, Justin did see his family doctor as well and was, did a semen test. He got the results of that and it was unfortunately not great. We didn't know the extent, though. Um, So once we did sit down with regional, 
They also made him do another testing. I had gone for additional testing as well. So just the standard like blood work, HSG to make sure your tubes are open, all that all seemed fine. And um, they told us, you know, we don't really see any issues of you guys falling pregnant. It'll probably happen. Let's do IUIs. So, of course, we said, have at it. Let's do it. So we did five. Nothing. None of it worked for us. Um, we didn't know why. Every failure, I was on the bathroom floor hoping we wanted this more than anything in the world. And it just was not working. So we went back to the drawing board and we sat down with regional and we said, okay, what can we do? Like, this is obviously not working. And they said to us, well, we suggest IVF. And Justin and I, just cost-wise, IVF is was not at that time something we could even consider financially. So we said, what about donor sperm? So they said, okay, that's fine. So it's quite interesting. It's uh, They literally give you like a website to go and look at and you sign up for the website and there's all these profiles on there and you click the ID number and it will tell you everything. Some of these websites have voice messages so you can hear what your donor's voice is going to sound like. There's so much background history and medical history that you have to go through. And whether you're RH negative or positive, and there's so many more things that go into it than you would even think to realize. So we spent months going through, and then we finally agreed on a donor, and we purchased three vials, which were then shipped to regional. So that cost us, at that time, it kind of cost us around four grand for the three vials that didn't include any procedures. That was just to get the sperm. So then we attempted those. And unfortunately for us, that did not work as well. And we decided to take a little bit of a break, just mentally, emotionally. It it was just, we needed that time to kind of figure out what's next for us. We did look into adoption. There's a lot of things that go into adoption that aren't necessarily known as well. Like you can't be actively trying. So we knew that if we had gone to an adoption agency and filled out paperwork, that would mean we couldn't try on our own. We would have to kind of close this chapter. And I wasn't ready to do that. So we started looking at other options and we stumbled across CNY in New York and they were affordable. So basically flying down to them was cheaper than going to regional here. So thankfully, I have amazing um, benefits that covered our medications and we flew down to New York. So with traveling for IVF, it was stressful. I had to arrange special blood work here. I had to arrange all my ultrasounds with Alberta Health. And then I also had to take medications. And while I was injecting, I was still working full time. So I was literally shooting up my injections at night, going to bed, waking up. If I had a morning injection, I would take that. I would go to work or I'd be injecting in my work bathroom. Then I would be at work for a few hours and I would have to rush off to an ultrasound wherever they could fit me in across the city. 
then after my ultrasound, I'd go back to work and then I'd go home and we'd start the process all over again until finally we were told, okay, your eggs are good. Get on that plane. So they don't give you very much notice. It's always last minute. So we had literally booked the flight that night and we flew out that morning. So then the next day was egg retrieval. We went through that. At that time, Justin didn't have any additional testing done by CNY. We just went based off of everything that regional had done. And unfortunately, when we flew back, IVF round one was a fail for us, another loss. So we took, I think it was about five months. I took a break. The medications, just everything. I just needed a a flush. And um, we decided, okay, what can we do now? What are we going to do for the second round that's going to be different than the first? So we added acupuncture before our uh, transfer when we were going back. And we added a test that's called a TESA test. So that is when they, instead of masturbation to obtain your semen sample for your IVF procedure, they actually insert a needle into the man's testes and they extract it. So with Justin's condition, he has abnormal sperm. So they were not sure where the damage was happening. So the reason they suggested this test is because if they extracted it, then the sperm wouldn't be going through any channels. They would just be literally going in, extracting it out, and then we would see kind of what we had. So we went home. Um, eventually, we got the call to come in. And uh, while we were there to do our transfer, we actually found out that not only is his sperm morphology messed up, but he also had 0% motile sperm. So that was a massive blow to him. I can still remember sitting in that waiting room and just looking at him and he was just like, I don't know, like if you can think of like a shell of a person, but that is what he looked like. And to me, like, I didn't know what to say. You know, I'm sitting here and for all I know, like I'm healthy. Like I haven't been told like you can't or you won't or you, this is what's up. Like this is what you're blocked, you know, like, and how do you fix it? There's no fix. You know, so I said to him, okay, well, we're here. They would have called us and said to us, you have no eggs. We can't transfer any embryos back. You know, if something didn't work, they'd done something. So we went in and they let us transfer two. And we came home and we waited. And they did say to us that the chances were not ideal for us, but there's hope. There's always hope. So we came home and of course it failed. So that was November of 2019. So now we're sitting in 2021 and we've had to find other ways to conceive or at least try to conceive because we're unfortunately unable to continue to fly down and do IVF. So we are actually, I stumbled upon a Facebook group and it is for 
people who would like to donate their sperm to all sorts. Couples, single moms, you name it, you know, all genders, all they don't care. You need it. They're there. They're amazing. Um, the group is incredible. And I did a lot of research and I met a donor that actually lives about five hours away from us. And we, every other month, go up to see him and we kind of do the turkey baster method. He, I bring the supplies. He will go into a cup, leave it in the bathroom for us. I will run in and use either a soft cup or a normal, like one mm syringe, and I'll insert and then we wait and see. So that's kind of where we're at in in our journey and we've had lots of in-betweens i've i've had very um people don't always understand or why can't you just adopt or why haven't you given up or why don't you take a vacation or stop stressing about it it'll happen you know there's always a miracle around the corner or maybe just give up for a bit and it'll happen and i constantly have to say to people we have a medical reason why we cannot conceive like it isn't just that we don't have unex like we have unexplained like maybe one day something will click for us if we don't have that like Justin's sperm has not changed unfortunately in like almost seven years the chances of something suddenly changing I'm not saying a miracle it's not possible miracles happen every day we all know that but like I can't live in the hope of like maybe one day it'll change and I'll just sit here and get older and not do anything. And Justin and I have always said like our dream is to be parents. So we're not going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. And if we have to change paths, we'll change paths. So adoption is not off the table for us. We just right now we want to try this and then eventually maybe fostering maybe adoption just something to have children in our lives wow erin that's that is a journey yeah one i am sure you never anticipated to find yourself on no how long have you and justin been together so we actually have only been together for seven years. So our entire relationship has been basically, apart from six months, has been um, the infertility journey. Yeah, and that's what I was I was curious about because, I mean, navigating fertility and then, of course, if there's male, male infertility, there's so much shame and stigma. And like you said, just that moment and like you had me um, in tears because... Yeah, it's just so un, like unsupported, untalked about. Um, and then as a partner to try to support your partner through that. Um, and, and this has been your entire relationship. How have you and Justin navigated this like together and separately? Cause I'm imagining there's a huge emotional toll. Yeah. Um, so Justin actually in the beginning, it was not good. He actually thought when he got the original results from his family doctor he actually thought that I would leave him because he knew how badly I wanted to be a mom and um he's not going to mind me saying this but Justin actually tried to kill himself right after he actually got the test results so it, he went in there thinking you know everything's good I wasn't at the appointment with him and 
then he disappeared and I couldn't find him. And I had called everybody and turns out he had gone and tried to flip his truck and tried to end his life because he felt like he couldn't have kids. I was going to leave him, you know, so from that day to now, I think we're stronger now together. I think he knows that as long as we're trying, as long as we're taking a next step, what's the next step? What do we have? Like changing paths. As long as we're actively trying to be parents, then we're solid. Like we've got this, like it doesn't matter the path we're taking, we'll figure it out. Whereas back in the, in that time, like it was, he just, you know, we were still new to each other. And I think he was just in a place where obviously I don't know what I would do if I heard I couldn't. Um, yeah. So I think he's grown tremendously. And fortunately it wasn't a growth that neither of us wanted. It was what the hand that's been dealt to us. And I think we're stronger for it. Um, we still have days where we're, we don't see eye to eye. I'm not going to say he's always got my back. I've always got his back. We do clash heads, um, especially with like family members announcing their pregnancies. Like he sees some, it in a different way sometimes than I do. So he'll say, well, you know, that's family. So like, whereas I'm like, here's another person that's pregnant and I'm not you know, like they didn't even try and I've been trying for seven years. So when it comes to those things, we still clash or he doesn't know how to approach me when he gets news that he knows is not going to go over well with me. I need a little bit more a tender approach. And there's times too, like we, if we come off a failure, he doesn't know how to deal with me. And I'm one of those people that I don't like to be hugged. I don't like just like, leave me alone. Like I will go upstairs, I will soak in the tub and that's where I'll cry, you know? And then I'll pick myself up and I'll say, okay, you've got two days here and you cry it out. You angry, you, you do what you need to do. But two days later, like you need to be back. Like you need to be able to go outside or go to work or put your A game on. And that doesn't mean that I'm okay. It just means that I'm not I don't want this journey to take me down. I don't want it to steal my life. Like it's stolen so much from me. Like I would love to be super excited about having a niece or a nephew, but instead I feel heartbroken. And it's not because I'm having a niece or a nephew or anything against them. It's when is it going to be our turn? We've seen so many friends, you know, and Justin too, like there'll be days I'll say to him, oh, did you see so-and-so is pregnant? Like, and he'll say to me, that's great, Aaron. When's our turn? You know, and he's not meaning it like that to me, but like in his head, that's his way of processing like his anger. Like when, when I want to be a mom and dad or things like that. So we have our ups and downs, but I think we're still, we're still here. We're still fighting and we're going to continue finding a path that works for us. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being so candid and open with us. When you said um, that Justin had, you know, tried to end his life after that, that news like that gave me goosebumps and just brings me to tears because that's hard to hear. And that's the truth that people need to hear. I think people think that for infertility and in, 
infertility as a whole is something that just like loss, pregnancy loss is something you just get over, right? You put on your brave face and you push through and, and, and it's not so much more than that. And male infertility in particular, that affects people like so much more than what people see on the surface. It's so much more than, you know, those questions. So when are you and Aaron getting pregnant? Right. I mean, so I don't know when you just said that it just, for me, really, really hit home that like people really have no idea the emotional, the emotional weight that this journey has for, for parents navigating it. Um, and so I, I just, I want to just thank you and Justin both so much for being honest about that because it is hard. And this is seven years that you're, that you're telling us how, how do you, you said, you know, you're, you, you don't always see eye to eye. And I'm really, really thankful for that transparency because I think all too often we see the social media posts of, you know, we're a navigating journey and we have, and, and we're stronger now. And yes, you are. And there's probably a whole lot of stuff, right? Behind the scenes yeah. that people are not aware of. It's not easy. And so how do you, for seven years, continue to, to deal with it? Because I, I say to my clients all the time, right? Um, who are, who are trying to conceive every cycle that doesn't, doesn't work. That is grief, right? It is grief and loss. So to me, at trying to conceive for a while and it's not working, you're not having a successful cycle. That's like an ongoing grief journey. Yeah, I feel like honestly, when people talk about trauma, I feel like that's where I'm at. Like, I feel like it's seven years of trauma. Like, it's been nonstop blows to us. He and I also like, I think he processes things, I think, obviously differently than I do. And sometimes he won't talk about it, which, of course, like we all process differently. I sometimes do have to pry things out of him because I feel like if I don't, then it won't get spoken about and then he'll explode. So I do try and do that. And as for the, how, how I've dealt with it over seven years, I am a person who loves um, plans. <laughs> it's why I do what I do for work as well. I'm very structured. And in those two days that I would allow myself to process I would also ask Justin, I'm like, I need a plan. Like, what is our plan? Like, I just need to know, like, are we going to try again? Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to go again? And if he would say, yes, I want to, or, well, right now, financially, we can't, like, let's wait two months. I needed that plan. And as long as I had that plan, then my mind would set to that plan. And I'd be like, okay, we try again in two months. So right now I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to concentrate on my everyday life, whether that's work or whether that's going, hanging out with friends or whether that's quitting caffeine or going to the gym, or I just found something that would distract me as much as it could for those two months. And then I also would go to therapy as well. I've been in and out. Um, I don't, I'm not someone who like sticks with it for like a six month period, but when I feel myself slipping or when I feel myself saying, you know, if I can't be a mom in this world, why am I here? Because I've had those thoughts. Like my purpose I feel is to be a mom. So if you're not going to give me my purpose, 
why am I here? So when those thoughts would creep up, I would know, like, you need to call someone, you need to just, you know, and Justin, unfortunately, like, he he couldn't help me with those. He didn't know what to say. He would say to me, Aaron, that's not fair. Like, that's not a fair statement to say. And to me, I'm like, you don't understand. That is a fair statement to me. Like, that is my purpose. I want to be a mom. So it is fair to me to say that. It may not be fair to my family or to anybody else, but in my mind and in my heart, that is how I felt. So I would definitely call someone and I would say, listen, I'm having a hard time. I need, I need, need something like check in with me. Like, let's, let's chat. And when I started to feel good again, and maybe that's not always good because I'm only doing that when I'm there in the lows and not working on it when I'm in the highs, but that's how I found that's what worked for me. And that's what's got me to today. Yeah. And I, I think that I think so many of us have felt that way, right? If it like, if I'm not going to be a parent, then what are we doing here? Right. And, and probably Justin obviously has felt that, that same way um, at, at certain points on the journey. I am curious about, um, like you're very forthcoming in this conversation and very forthcoming. Are are you forthcoming like in your social circles? Do you, do people know that this is this is your journey and the reality that you live? Um absolutely. I um I feel like I can't you can't be upset with someone when they don't know. I feel like that's all honestly asking for trouble in your life. Also, this journey is so incredibly hard that if I if people around me didn't know what I was going through, there may be days when they just don't get it. Like, what's wrong with Aaron, you know? So there's especially holidays, you know, every every holiday that would come about, I would always say to Justin, you know, like my biggest wish for Christmas this year is I don't want anything. I want to be a mom like. I want that positive pregnancy test, you know, and then Easter would come and Easter is my favorite time of the year. I love the decorations. Like, it's just so sweet. And I always had such a good time as a little kid. And I want to share that with a kid. And so I would say the same thing to him, you know, what maybe Easter, if it wasn't Christmas, maybe I'll get an Easter bunny gift. And that may sound crazy, but that's another way that I kind of was dealing with it. Well, maybe next holiday maybe next holiday, you know, and some holidays, I just didn't want to be around people like that. I would force myself to, and I'm a very um, open person and I am very chatty around family members. So people would know right away what's, what's, you know, what's wrong with her. So I think if I wasn't open about it, then it could be misconstrued to be like, Oh, you know, I'm just being stuck up or I don't want to be there which it's not that I don't want to be there. It's that I'm there, but I, I'm not, do you know what I mean? Like my, my heart is not here. My heart is in the bathroom on the floor shattered in pieces. So Justin's always been very open as well. And I find too, and I probably should say this is just because you open up to your social circle, they're not always going to do the right thing or say the right thing or be there when you need I've had to spend a lot of time with my immediate family just being like, this is how you can approach me or this is what you can say to me or please don't say that to me 
you know, a lot of my family members too, they'll say, well, maybe next time. And to me, I know that means well, but my answer to that is, okay, but could it not be her? Like, and that sounds terrible. Like, that makes me sound like a horrible person, but that would be my brain. I'd be like, well, can she maybe next time? Like, can it be my turn? And maybe she can have like next, like the next month. Like, do you know what I mean? So they're not going to say the right thing. They're not going to do the right thing. They're going to try because they know you. But at the same time, I'm still seven years in. I'm still just this year. I've had to just educate Justin on how to approach me or how he screwed up with not supporting me or, you know, his family or my family. Like it is what it is. And I've lost, I've lost relationships. I've lost friendships. I've lost um, family members just because they didn't understand and didn't take the time. And I didn't maybe take the time that I should have to been like, this is what you said. This is how you hurt me. And this, can we like, maybe try this next time? You know, here's how you can support me. And I maybe never took the time. And I think the blame is equally on, on me as it is on, on them. Like I need to educate them if they don't know someone in their life, you know, and they're not educating themselves, then I need to take that upon me and be like, here, you're important to me. I love you. You're my family member, but I need you to love me. And this is how you can support me. Erin, uh, you've hit so many emotions in what you just said. I'm nine years into a different journey. My daughter um, was born still. However, everything you are saying is exactly what I've been doing for nine years. And yes, I have living children, but I still grieve every holiday. I grieve the way that you do. And yeah, it's totally changed my my family relationships and we've had friends who have gone through infidelity and theirs was unexplained and they have a long story with theirs and what I learned and what you shared today is sometimes we just need to listen sometimes we just need to be kind and listen um saying oh it'll happen or so-and-so's family like they had this I heard so-and-so had this story that's their story that's not your story that's not my story so the fact that you're willing to share this and those emotions, like you just, you got to me because I was like, yes, that's exactly how I felt at Easter. That's exactly how I feel every single time there is a pregnancy announcement around me. I'm nine years into this journey. I was very, um, we, we do have, we were able to give birth to a living child um, in 2014. However, every single pregnancy announcement, I actually get angry has nothing to do with the person. It has nothing to do with their story. I still get angry because I think, but why did I have to go through a loss? And now they're pregnant and now they're having a, this live child and I have, I had to have this loss and nobody around me. I mean, I was one of the first ones in my family to have children. I have since had many, probably 20 pregnancies within the last 15 years within my um, family group and I'm the only one that has had a stillborn. And so I can understand from your perspective where it's like, why am I the only one that we're seven years into this journey? Why am I the only one that wants this child? And so-and-so is pregnant. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that because I truly can relate to what you're saying because although our stories and journeys have been different, 
those emotions are true and they still are there. You know, even with a live child, I'm still there. I'm like, why did it, why did we have to go through this journey to get here? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry. You know, I, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. There's, you know, there's nothing about grieving or loss or infertility or any of it that I would want anyone to, to suffer through. And I think you're right. And, and people do need to be kind and they need to listen. And I think a big part of it is, especially when it's family members, they need to try to understand that, like you said, you're not mad with them. You're mad at the situation and you're not meaning to hurt them or, or take away. I think that's a big thing. Like, I think some people try to, um, like feel like, Oh, you know, she's taking away from my pregnancy because she's not happy for me. And that's absolutely not what any person struggling with infertility is trying to do. They're just trying to make it through their day. They could have been having a really good day and your pregnancy announcement went up. And I mean, like that, it's like, boom, you know, um, I work in a workplace that's predominantly female workers and the amount of pregnancy announcements. And if you don't get the pregnancy announcements, you get the live baby pictures once they've been born coming around and there's no warning. I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, you know, typing away my day and boom. And I can remember calling my mom on the way home being like, you know, this person, there was a one week, there was three. One is like, and I know that I'm not close to these persons and, but it's still, it, it hurts because I'm like, when, you know, when is going to be my time? And I think like right now, Justin and I are struggling as well because his brother just recently announced that, you know, he's having his first baby and we're super excited because that's a niece or a nephew, but I'm struggling. And, you know, and I feel bad because I can't go over there. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I can't go over there. And I said to Justin, you know, if you want to go, please, like, don't let me hold you back. He's your brother, like, go, but I might not be able to actually physically take myself over there until the birth of that baby. And that's got to be okay. I don't know if I can go to a shower. And that's got to be okay. But I also need, you know, the family to understand I'm not doing this to hurt any of them. I'm doing it because if I go there, I'm going to cry your whole shower. You don't want that. I don't want that. So for me, it's like, I'm going to, and this sounds very impersonal, but we're probably going to send a gift with his mom because that's all I can muster. And that's got to be okay. That's what I have. Yeah. And that, and that is okay. And that's, and I, and I really appreciate Danielle, you know, chiming in there and saying, you know, our, all three of our journeys are very different. And yet all of the, what you're speaking about, not going to the showers, you know, feeling like a bad person because you're not happy when there's pregnancy announcements. That's what all of us have, have experienced because that is grief. And I think that that is my biggest takeaway. And I hope that our listeners who are listening today, I hope that that's what they take away from this too, is that fertility is grief. You are, you have lost what you thought your path to parenthood was going to look like. Like you said, so much has been taken 
away from you. And so you may have not experienced a pregnancy or infant loss, but you have 100% and continue to experience grief every single time that cycle is not successful. Absolutely. And I, and, and for me, it just, I think that the way you share and your, your openness really, I hope people hear this. I think it's such an important conversation because I don't think society, and I'm like society air mm. quotes, <laughs> you can't see me, but society, general society who hasn't navigated this, people do not understand. And people's fertility needs to not be a small conversation, a topic for small conversation, because it is not a small topic, as we can see today. Exactly. I mean, I wanted to say thank you to both of you because you are bringing this group alive. Like it means the world. I cannot say to you how much I know this group is needed. I never want someone to feel like they have to sit in a dark room and cry or that if they're bombarded with a pregnancy announcement, I don't want them to feel like Nobody understands. There's nobody. Who who can I go to? You know, I've been there. I've been that girl that's driving and crying on, you know, on my drive or I've had to pull over or I've walked down the baby aisle and had no choice but to walk down there and walked out and cried in my car or even in the store. I've cried in Walmart, in the baby aisle, you know, walking by it. And I just, you two have done such a service. You, I don't even know how to express my gratitude because I know that this group is needed and it's important. And I just, yeah, thank you. Honestly, it's our honor to, to, to hold this space and it's, and it's our volunteers like yourself who, who make the space come alive um, because it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage to show up as honestly as you have. Um, and we just appreciate that. Um, we also feel the space is needed drastically needed. And I think your conversation and this conversation today has really highlighted that for for everybody, even though, again, Danielle and I have not navigated the same journey the entire time. People can't see us when you're listening, but the entire time, right, Danielle and I are nodding in, in just understanding because we've experienced that grief and loss. And so all of the things you're saying, we can relate to. We can't relate to the to your journey specifically, but that those feelings of this isn't how it should be, how we wanted it to be, how we expected it to be. I think every one of our listeners can attest to that for sure. And that, and that's what, that's, what's powerful. I think of this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we always ask our guests one last question before, before we end. Danielle, would you like to ask Aaron? Yes. Aaron, if you could go back to you know yourself as you were beginning this journey what is something you would maybe tell yourself or kind of like what would you want yourself to know I would want myself to know that I am stronger than I ever thought possible that it's so important to advocate for yourself if you feel something is off fight if you feel like you need a referral or they won't doctors won't refer you go to another doctor like advocate for yourself fight for your dreams and just know that 
every day is a new day and you can start again. And I know it's not ideal, but you're strong and you'll keep fighting. Beautiful. And I, I do hope that this conversation will start to reduce some of that stigma and shame that couples facing um, infertility have. I think as a society, this kind of conversation needs to be had over and over and over again until those questions of, so when you're having kids, just stops. Agreed. So thank you for being here. Um, for our listeners, as Erin has mentioned, um, and we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have a new group through the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. This fall, um, it is our fertility group. So it is for couples navigating the fertility journey and all that comes with that journey. It is free of cost. It is offered remotely. So no matter where you are located, you can join. There is other people out there that can relate to your journey. And the more that we speak about it, the more um, that we can let go of that shame and that stigma around the journey. So please join us if anything in Erin's story resonated with you. And if it's not resonated for you personally, please share it around so that we as a society can do better. Thank you. And we will see you next time on Beyond the Lost. Danielle, did you have any parting words? Just thank you, Erin. Your story is so powerful and you speak so well in sharing your emotions that I know we are going to reach somebody who really needs us today. And we're really going to start the conversation that should never have been hidden. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a conversation I know Danielle and I are both going to carry forward with us for, for quite some time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.